0: Welcome back to episode two of the Ghastly Podcast, where this week we're going to be continuing with our series on haunted houses, and this week we're going to be talking about The House on Haunted Hill. It is a camp comedy classic, and we really hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed watching it. Okay, so the next film that we were going to look at is called The House on Haunted Hill. Mm. So it's from 27 years later. And in some ways it's very different Mm. to the old dark house, but in other ways you can also see the continuity.
1: I see the kind of elements of camp Mm. that were present in old dark house just get kind of massively inflated Mm -hmm. in in this this one. And then a kind of assemblage of, of strangers who are all brought together on one night and... Um, mysteries unfold. Yes, I think
0: that's going to be a recurring theme throughout the episode.
1: Mm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So this film came out in 1959, I believe, Mm -hmm. uh, 17th of February, to be precise. Uh, The director was William Castle, who weirdly was also a producer on Rosemary's Baby. So that's an interesting little crossover. The screenplay was by Rob White. And yeah, it's a 75 minute film. I think the Haunting is the longest by far of all of these films. The House on Haunted Hill and Old Dark House are fairly brief. Um, yeah,
0: they're both around the one hour, 10 minute mark.
1: I'm not going to lie. This is the first ever Vincent Price film that I've ever seen. So,
0: <laughs> Me too, actually, but, but I loved him. I thought he was great.
1: Rob White's screenplay is just... It's amazing. And and when it combines with Vincent Price, you just get these incredible lines that are just delivered amazingly as well. But so, okay, this film focuses on a couple, uh, a not very well um, matched couple, a very unhappy couple, but a rich couple nonetheless. So you have a billionaire playboy, you have um, his wife and they rent a house um, that is meant to be haunted and it has this whole backstory of having uh, having been the location of, of multiple murders over the years. And Vincent Price is the one who's invited a load of strangers that he's hand-selected for different reasons, almost like a cross-section of society, I suppose. And he's offering mm. $50,000, I believe. Yeah, I think it's 50000 to each individual who is able to last the night in the house it should be said first of all that this house is amazing um the outside is actually a frank lloyd wright building oh with it's it's incredibly modernist it's got these uh rigid sides to it but then it's covered with these small kind of stone pieces of 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 paneling and it really does look amazing Um, and it sets the tone quite well. You just think, what is this? You know, what is this place? You know,
2: Mm. it was my wife's idea to have our guests come in funeral cars. She's so amusing. Her sense of humor is, shall we say, original. I dreamed up the hearse. It's empty now, but after a night in the house on haunted Hill, who knows?
0: we basically start with Vincent Price's head talking at us saying that he's throwing a party for his Mm. wife Annabelle Mm, and mm. he explains his whole system of inviting all these people um, and offering them money to stay there it's very strange because you kind of think well what what kind of party is this
2: Mm, a party full mm. of
0: strangers in a house so scary that people need to be paid lots of money to go there
1: Mm. And he keeps saying he keeps insisting it was my wife 's idea she 's yes. very amusing <laughs> mm. and I think he just keeps repeating that line oh she 's very <laughs> she 's very, very amusing the whole time right up to the point where we actually realize that in in a couple of exchanges that they have in in the mm-hmm. bedroom that they 're staying in, you realize that him and his wife have a terrible relationship he 's convinced, convinced that he 's convinced that he she married him purely just for his money. The idea is that he survived multiple attempts on his life by her um, arsenic on the rocks, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, so we see Vincent Price's head. Mm-hmm. He introduces us to the characters as they're driving towards the house. Yes,
0: to our guests.
1: Who are they? We have um, Watson Pritchard, mm-hmm. who is so
0: he's the not caretaker really a guest of the house. Yeah, so he no, mm-hmm. he's
1: yeah, he's he's more
0: he's there by just kind of looking out. And he, yeah, he's very, exactly. very anxious all the time. Very anxious. <laughs>
1: also, the kind of, I guess he's sort of, he's the guy who's meant to be there just to remind us every five minutes that there are potentially ghosts mm. in this house.
0: He just seemed like an intensely stressed man, even in non stressful situations. No, just looking that's at very his true. Face, dripping with sweat
1: yeah and and he's got these like wide eyes and he's always like the ghosts are on the move tonight (laughs) and kind of overloading all the other guests with these constant anecdotes about the terrible things that Mm -hmm. happened uh in the house with these very doom-laden tones um and he differs to be honest quite a lot from from the guests uh who Mm -hmm. do we have joanna
0: so the first guest to arrive is lance schroeder who is played by richard long who is a test Mm -hmm. pilot then there is the newspaper columnist Reef bridges played by julie mitchum
1: and then following journalist we have uh dr david trent
0: yes who is a
1: psychiatrist that's a saturnine psychiatrist And then Nora Manning, who is uh, an employee. I think she's the only employee of Vincent Price's character.
0: Yes, and who has one of the most iconic screams, I think.
1: (laughs) Poor Nora, honestly. And she screams a lot. Wall to wall trauma for Nora.
2: Come with us. Come with us before he kills you.
0: The so one thing that crucially links all of them is the fact that they all need money, so he can feel safely assured in inviting them that they're going to take him up on the offer.
1: That's basically the setting. We have also a couple of caretakers, don't we? Yes, who are present, but we don't know that they're caretakers in the first yes, place. Yes, exactly. Not
0: until not until they've already scared the living daylights out of Nora once.
1: And Mrs. Slides is the uh, wife of Jonah Slides Mm -hmm. and together they are the caretakers of the house. Together
0: we are the caretakers.
1: (laughs) And the first time we meet Mrs. Slides, we we are meant to interpret her as a ghost, aren't we?
0: Yes. And to be fair, she does have a very um, unusual aspect, very white, frizzy hair, Mm. kind of again a bit of a gaunt face
1: she has these white kind of milky eyes um and they create the illusion that she's this floating ghost that drifts towards um it drifts out of the darkness sort of towards nora and then disappears again Mm. with i suppose it's a conveyor belt or something some kind of
0: moving platform
1: honestly the scene that i get reminded of Uh, most strongly by this is it's that bit in twilight when they're they're heading off to play uh well they're playing baseball and then the other vampires the villain vampires they come in on this conveyor belt um and it creates this illusion it's like a travelator you know Mm. they're just kind of like gliding um yeah so that popped into my mind when i saw that um but then later on, we find after Nora is terrified again by Jonah Slides, the the husband of Mrs. Slides, mm-hmm. um, he kind of grabs her and says, "Oh, he means to hurt you." And I guess we we assume it's Vincent Price. Um, we we meet the two of them, yes, uh, properly as the caretakers uh, when they're introduced to the rest of the guests. And the idea is that the get the caretakers are meant to lock them in or lock in. Any of those who choose to stay within the house, Mm -hmm. and then they have to remain there until the caretakers come back the next morning. Is that right? Yes.
0: Otherwise, you are not getting your money.
1: Mm. But they just kind of leave. Yeah. (laughs) They. (laughs) Vincent Price just goes, "Oh, the caretakers, their caretakers have gone. They've just made the decision for us." Okay,
0: night, night, guys.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they just they went with it, but. Then we're told by Watson, of course, who knows the ins, ins and outs of the house. He knows that that, that there's even a, um, a pit of acid in the basement. Yeah, because, you know, um, what,
0: what good house doesn't have a massive pool of acid lying <laughs> around?
1: But then, of course, this house just happens to have an enormous door that's thick metal, impenetrable. All the windows uh, are barred as well. Um, so there is no escape.
2: Mm. It isn't midnight yet. Who told them they could leave? They never leave before midnight. They've gone now. I was going to ask you whether you wanted to stay or not, but it seems that the caretakers have made the decision for you. We're all locked in now. But I don't want to stay. I'm sorry, my dear, but it's too late now.
1: And... Yeah, we we get glimpses of, of a supernatural presence in the house for sure um the stories aside you have the journalist getting dripped on uh twice yeah with blood from the ceiling um she's
0: marked
1: but then for her character that's pretty much all that happens is that she just ends up
0: yeah this is a funny thing there's all this <laughs> fuss made about the blood dripping onto her hands and how obviously it's a bad omen and Nick clearly something has it out for her, and yet nothing Mm. ever happens to her. I mean, honestly, if you're the journalist in this film, you get a pretty good Mm. deal out of everything. You get your money. Mm. Mm. You don't get hurt in any way.
1: No, Um, end of. Well, that's pretty much what she does. Is she gets dripped on by patches of blood uh, above her, Um, and then she gets well. She she just constantly asks for drinks that she doesn't really end up receiving. So, those are the two aspects of, of the journalist's experiences. Yeah.
0: <laughs> After that point, it seems kind of like once the caretakers have left, there. everyone's ready to settle in for the night, pretty much. But mm. then they make a horrible discovery, don't they? So, they mm. find the corpse of Annabelle, who is mm. Vincent Price's wife. I'm sorry, I love how we just it's- keep referring to him as Vincent Price rather than his character Frederick Lauren. So, Frederick's wife screams and then they find her corpse so it's very mysterious because on the one hand she seems to have hung herself but on the other hand there doesn't seem to be any kind of platform nearby from Mm. which could have done it so obviously Mm. this immediately arouses everyone's suspicions
1: and he thinks it's nora to begin with doesn't he Mm. because nora's not in a good state
0: the doctor
1: is pushing for nora to be kind of diagnosed as hysterical Mm -hmm. uh from 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 the fear and that's why lance assumes that nora's done this nora nora's potentially died yeah but we find out that it's not nora yeah it
0: was never nora it was annabelle and obviously that's very Mm. confusing for people
1: Mm. So after the death, they decide that the best thing to do is to have everyone go back to their rooms and stay in their what rooms. What do you and- think of this
0: strategy? Because I saw reviewed it was like, this is the smartest thing anyone has ever said in a horror movie. But obviously at the same time, as we all know, splitting up usually doesn't end well. Do you think it made mm, sense? Sp- or?
1: I think it made sense. I think it was a really good idea. Uh, but the, the problem is that it was immediately... Uh, voided by the fact that mm. <laughs> several people come out of their rooms yes uh and just start running around again yes
0: mm-hmm. so this is why i think that the decision to stay in their rooms only makes sense if there is nothing paranormal going on yeah and- i agree because what happens is that Nora is in her room and she's all ready to find... Poor Nora. She's finally ready to just go to sleep and just wake up in the morning for it to all be over. But then mm. she sees in the window, doesn't she? She sees Annabelle's ghost with like this rope around mm. her neck in the window. So obviously yeah. she's terrified and she runs out again.
1: The rope kind of... So Annabelle's looming there like a, like a ghost just kind of hovering outside the window. Mm. It's very atmospheric. But then... We have that rope, as you said, that sort of emerges through the bars, mm. and it comes right up to her legs, and then starts wrapping itself around her feet, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, and I still don't know how it sort of actually worked, even within the context of the film. But more on that later yeah. for the explanation. More on that later.
1: Yeah. So this is when we find out the whole thing has been a ruse, mm-hmm. and the The night has been designed actually by Annabelle. So it is true what Frederick Lauren was saying Mm -hmm. at the beginning when he was saying, oh, it was my wife's idea. idea. But then we find out that Annabelle isn't actually dead.
0: No, she's not dead. She's faked her death.
1: Yeah. And is the idea that she was declared dead by the psychiatrist? And the psychiatrist is crucially in on Mm -hmm. it. And everyone's going to trust what he says so he was able to get away with just confirming her as dead mm-hmm. she's lying on that bed just trying really hard not to breathe and also
0: Nora's screaming Nora obviously because obviously Nora's going to scream the house down when she sees this yeah. gives the psychiatrist an excuse to get out of his room and think oh well, something's happening so mm. and what he, he says mm. let's split up doesn't he he says
2: that mm.
0: classic horror movie line oh mm. let's split up Mm. But in this case, he knows exactly what he's
1: doing. Yeah. And and most of the exposition manages to take place between Annabelle and the doctor. Mm. And we find out that they're in cahoots, that this has all been set up so that they can kill Frederick Mm -hmm. together um, with the use of Nora, which.
0: I think is ingenious.
1: It is. It's. It is good. It's just so... It's difficult to wrap your head around the fact that they were happy to make a plan this risky with such a loose cannon element like Nora because she's been whipped into this frenzy. Um, They were able to generate a series of illusions of the supernatural, Mm. pretty much, that um, were done by the use of a harness on Annabelle so that she could look as if she was hanging dead without actually suffocating. And I suppose the same technology was used when she's floating outside the door. Um, Yes,
0: although I still don't really understand how the whole thing with the rope would necessarily have worked. But movie magic, let's put it down to movie magic.
1: (laughs) Also, if they're locked inside how did Annabelle get outdoors?
0: Yeah, that's true because it's not like (laughs) Annabelle and the psychiatrist were the ones in charge of, I don't know, maybe they paid off the caretakers. That's the only explanation I can think of.
1: If they did, then Frederick was very chill about the whole thing. Maybe he was never going (laughs) to let any of them leave in the end. Well, yeah, as you say, there's this this rope situation where it's clearly a paranormal event, Mm. but we find out that then, of course, it was... It's actually just humans behind the scenes manipulating um props to frighten someone into thinking and to convince someone that there are supernatural forces at work mm-hmm. in the house.
0: And I think that's what's you... so interesting about the props in this film, in that they're meant, even within the context of the film, to be props. So it kind of allows for this kind of heightened, campy aesthetic mm-hmm. that perhaps wouldn't mm-hmm. really be credible in a Serious
1: Mm. horror film. Mm. You could probably rationalise the rope Mm. in in the way that I would try and rationalise it, and the way that Annabelle seems to be sort of effortless, effortlessly floating outside the door. Mm. Sorry, outside the window. I think you you could rationalise it by saying that Nora is projecting. What we're seeing is Nora's projection.
0: Yeah, that makes sense
1: from the position of the camera. So we're seeing. Annabelle's ghost, as Nora would have been seeing it, Mm. as Annabelle kind of, probably quite haphazardly floating outside (laughs) the window, probably a bit unconvincing, probably a bit, you know, just kind of swinging there, you know, on her harness. Because Nora's completely
0: Um, bought into it. It looks so. Yeah, but
1: if Nora's already convinced about the supernatural presence in the house, she's gonna elaborate in the way that she she yeah let's be honest if you
0: were in a haunted house where you'd already had bad experiences one of the guests Mm. had already died and a doctor had confirmed that they were dead and then you saw Mm. that guest floating outside of your bedroom window you probably Mm. would be convinced as well
1: oh yeah oh yeah i'd be hysterical (laughs) honestly um and then the rope stands within that as a kind of potential elaboration on nora's part but then that also makes me think what may have happened in a completely objective situation where we could see the rope? Does it just get kind of lobbed through the bars? <laughs> does it Does it, Does it? it even come near her legs? Um, I think that's how I'd like to rationalise mm. the scene.
0: So speaking of Nora being hysterical, what mm. happens? How does she kind of fall exactly into their trap? Because they want her to kill Frederick, so, don't they?
1: Yeah, um, their idea is, well, earlier on in the film, everyone got, given guns, which just did not seem like a great idea. No. And especially because we're led to believe at the beginning of the film that ghosts are the protagonist, uh, the antagonistic element within the house. Mm. So So surely guns of course,
0: would do absolutely nothing.
1: Yeah, and Watson Pritchard mentions this, but the guns are nevertheless handed out. Apparently it's the wife's idea, and of course it is, and that makes sense because we think, oh yeah, um Nora needs to be armed for their plan to work. But the guns get handed out in this amazing way where Frederick has laid out lots of tiny little coffins on his table and inside every coffin is a gun and they all get handed out. And so at this point, Nora is, Nora is armed and she's sent off, terrified from her room mm-hmm. and she runs down the hall And then she looks up and she sees Annabelle yet again hanging in the same place where she died and her eyes are open. And this is actually quite a frightening moment, I Mm. think, in the film. Uh, I thought the face of Annabelle was just quite haunting and the eyes. And I did actually very much sympathise with Nora at this point because that would absolutely freak me out. And then not only that, but then you get the doctor's arm dressed to look almost like a kind of like a kind of monster he's got this um costume arm and he leans round the back from the hallway and he grabs nora's arm with this hand and so she's just getting she's getting terrified on all sides here and yeah she runs down to the basement Mm -hmm. after these after these two consecutive shocks
0: and She's in such a state of hysteria at this point that yeah. even just seeing Frederick with a gun in his hand mm. is enough to make her shoot. And that's what she does. Mm.
1: And, and already having it planted in her mind that Frederick is, is the most likely person to have killed his wife. Mm. Because everyone else has no motive. Um, they're all strangers to the wife. They've never met her or him before. So the blame is on him. The suspicion is on him.
0: So... Nora in the basement sees Frederick enter the basement and she presumably thinks that he is going to shoot her. And so she Mm. shoots him first and then immediately runs away. And then Mm. as she's running away, the psychiatrist, of course, who is all part of this nefarious plot comes Mm. in because do you remember in the basement, there's that massive pool of acid which we were very helpfully <laughs> told at the beginning of the film, it was kind of very much beaten into us that if a person mm. was to go into there, then their body would dissolve essentially.
1: Mm, leaving just behind very convenient. Uh, the bones.
0: And then we don't actually see what happens. We see that the psychiatrist is going to throw him into the vat of acid.
1: But, mm, we but then never, it cuts away. Yeah, we it? never
0: actually see the resolution.
1: Then at that point who comes down to the basement.
0: So the person who comes into the basement is Annabelle because obviously she's thinking, yay, Mm. Frederick's dead. Let's just get rid of him. And then probably, I don't know, kiss or something. But that's not what happens. (laughs) There's nobody there. There's nobody in the basement. Mm. And what actually happens is that when she walks in, all of a sudden this hilarious skeleton emerges from the water. like jesus ascending to heaven <laughs> and starts speaking with frederick's voice and basically mm. says he knows exactly what she did
1: this kind of booming disembodied mm. voice it's and then so he starts camp. kind of and, and the doors have been doors have been kind of slamming as well yeah. uh, around annabelle so we're assuming oh my god it's frederick's ghost mm-hmm. and the skeleton sort of lurches and kind of Dances across yeah, towards Annabelle, and he's kind of pointing, and then the skeleton just lands a bony hand on Annabelle, and he calls he goes murderous. <laughs> he's like, "You will spend eternity with me," and Annabelle is absolutely terrified by this this science class skeleton.
0: This is something that I thought was kind of funny in a way. She essentially gets pulled in to the acid. By the skeleton, but in mm. a way also shot in a way that makes it very, very clear that she has plenty of time and room to escape. Like she's there, standing by the edge of the bat of acid, and she's like, "Oh no! Oh, please don't, please don't hurt me! Oh, I'm terrified!" Mm. And it's like y- y- you could just get get away from the acid, and then and then mm. the skeleton can't push you in. I, I guess I don't the know idea the is that she is.
1: completely she <laughs> forgot that there was mm. you know the classic basements. Acid pool just behind her. Honestly,
0: what a rocky mistake. Like, that's just something that you would expect in every basement.
1: She just wanted to back away screaming in the basement, but there just had to be the vat of acid behind her. (sighs) And sure enough, she drops into the vat of acid, screaming for Mm -hmm. her life. And Um, presumably
0: dissolves into bones. Mm.
1: And then Frederick Lauren emerges out from a shady corner of the basement uh armed with an insane contraption Mm -hmm. it's like this kind of it looks a bit like something that you'd serve ice cream to to sports fans out of it's it's this kind of board that he's got like harnessed around his neck and it's all sorts of pulleys and little (laughs) levers and, and winding mechanical elements and and there it's attached to strings that then disperse all the way across the room and then we then assume, okay, so all the doors were shut by strings and pulleys. Mm. And the ghost was ultimately controlled by these same pulleys. And he winds the the skeleton in and he grabs it by the rib cage, doesn't he? And then mm. uh, he kind of talks down to the, the vat of acid and he kind of announces farewell, murderous. Um, <laughs> you, you tried to trick me, but I got there before you. I knew what you were plotting. Um, and so it turns out that Frederick is the murderer at the end of the day. (laughs) He goes through this kind of phase of being massively suspect, but no, he brings out the bag. And now to be
0: fair to him, to be fair to him, he was actually hundred percent correct in his suspicions that his wife was trying to murder him.
1: Mm, not mm. saying that
0: necessarily makes it right to murder her back, but.
1: Mm. It's, uh, it's kind of, yeah, I, I do away with the fact that it's a bit shady in terms of, is this going to hold up in a court of law? And I think he does actually, he references that at the end, doesn't he? He yeah. says, you know, my conscience is clear. But
0: <laughs> Yeah, he's saying maybe. self-defense.
1: Yes, self-defense. So I just think it's funny that you could categorize self-defense as- sort Yes, a skeleton of intimidating a, skeleton.
0: a woman staggering mm. backwards, seemingly completely unaware of, of acid behind her for Mm, an extended mm. sequence of about 30 seconds. I don't know if Mm. that really counts as self-defence,
1: but... No, it's a very vengeful self-defence. It's an incredibly thought-out, ridiculous (laughs) self-defence. But it's Frederick Lauren, so... It's Vincent Price. He can do what he wants. It's Vincent Price, exactly.
2: The crime you two planned was indeed perfect. Only the victim is alive and the murderers are not. It's a pity you didn't know when you started your game of murder that I was playing too.
1: Did you hear about what they did with the audiences when they saw this film in the cinema? No. So they attached a skeleton to a system of pulleys in the same way that it's attached to pulleys in the film. And they they pulled it, they winched it out over the audience from oh the side God. of the screen. And it was called an emergo, I guess because it emerges from from the wing how the, was this like a special or screening
0: or did it happen at lots of screenings i don't know
1: i think it happened at quite a few of them it was just one of those kind of classic you know when they were experimenting with uh gimmicks and uh kind of in theater um moments of trickery for the audience to just kind of lose their minds over cinema of attraction <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um and that just would have been kind of amazing to to have witnessed i think So, skeletons aside, pools of acid aside, did you like this film, Joanna?
0: I did actually like this film, even if perhaps it's not the most intellectual of films, not necessarily the most artistic of films. Also, when you say skeletons aside, pools of acid aside, I don't think you can put those things aside. I think all these prop aspects of it and all these kind of ridiculous Mm. plot devices are actually Mm. what gives it this kind of like lovely Mm. camp air I really like Mm. the fact that it's a film that doesn't take itself too seriously. I think you can kind of see Mm. it's a bit of an evolution of the genre from The Old Dark House because in both cases there is this kind of element of self-parody and you can Mm. see how that with 27 years more of horror films in the middle, how the conventions of the genre have evolved. Mm. It's tropey, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing.
1: No, no. I do feel like there's a tendency
0: for some people to kind of view any film that kind of sixth convention is therefore inherently bad or worthless or unsophisticated. And yeah, maybe unsophisticated mm. in this case is the right descriptor, but
1: mm. I think it's still mm-hmm. a good time. I think the one thing that I would have liked a little bit more from the film is that it really pushes the supernatural elements the whole way through. Um, of course, with the ways that Nora's getting terrified, she finds a fake head in her luggage. Um, mm. She... Witnesses the caretakers and then Lance gets hits over the head. We still don't know who hits Lance over the head. It's kind of not really resolved. No. Is it? So you get these elements, you get Watson Pritchard shoving it down your throat that <laughs> it's a, it's a haunted house, but then that's all stripped away. And of course you get this twist that it's actually, it's actually humans manipulating ideas of supernatural. That's true. To, Take revenge.
0: But at the same time, I think the fact that you mentioned the fact that Lance gets hit on the head and we never have any explanation of why. And also that even at the end of the film, Watson is still very convinced that the house is haunted. And of course, mm. now that the psychiatrist and Annabelle are dead, mm. they've joined the ghost of the house, I suppose, if there are any. And so I liked it as this slight open-endedness. Mm. But then also it could just be Watson being slightly hysterical. Who knows? Mm.
1: Cause he didn't have a great time with regards to that house. He only stayed was it one night when he was younger and mm. he he couldn't do it again. This is the this is only the second time that he's been able to to stay in the house because his brother was murdered by his sister in law, was
0: it? I think so. That didn't really have anything to do with the house. No. <laughs> Just bad luck. They're coming for me now.
2: And then they'll come for you.
1: The supernatural element is still there. it's not fully explained away., mm. but I feel like if it's not fully explained away, they could have made a little bit more effort to 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 tease it back in.
0: No, that's fair to, enough
1: to show us that watson it's not just Watson um projecting there is more of a supernatural presence here than it is not just humans mechanically um recreating the supernatural for for revenge or murder or or any of that mm. um, yeah i think something interesting guess,
0: could have been done with that
1: mm, and i guess that's why it's nice to now look at the haunting yeah because the haunting in in comparison it's definitely not It's definitely not a human
0: hoax. Although, Uh, did you know? It's a pure... Did you know that while the original story is very much definitely supernatural, did you know that originally Mm. Robert Wise wanted to make the haunting a kind of allegory so it wouldn't actually be supernatural? Well, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it again. Don't worry. (laughs) Okay,
1: that's very nice. You've you've whet my appetite. Okay.
0: Perfect. (laughs)
1: Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of The Ghastly Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. You won't want to miss next week's instalment of our Haunted Houses series, where we look at Robert Wise's 1962 classic, The Haunting. Make sure to stay safe, subscribe, and see you then.